next several months, I want to, uh, I want to share with you guys a, uh, a series of sermons, not, not a sermon series, we're not going to be doing this back to back, but just a series of sermons that I'm going to refer to as our Methodist DNA. And uh, I don't want to do it again straight, you know, week by week series on this because I don't want to wear you guys out on the subject. But I think it is a very, very important subject, especially considering the fact that we are, in fact, a Methodist church. If you were not aware of this, Bemis United Methodist has been a Methodist church for, at bare minimum, at, bare minimum, at least around 1920 or so. So you're talking about 100, 102 years. Bemis, Bemis Church itself has existed since around 1825. So we, we've been around here for a while. Now what I want to do with you guys is I want to, uh, I just want to explore with you a number of things about our Methodist DNA. Some of those things are going to be theological in nature. Some of those things are going to be just, just more practical in nature. Um, you know, how we live out our faith. Um, but these are going to be some of the things that are either very, very distinctive about the Methodist faith or the tradition or those th- and or those things that are highly emphasized. Again, they're going to be very distinctive to our tradition and or they're going to be these things that are highly emphasized or have been highly emphasized um, in our particular tradition. You see, Methodism was a movement. It began as a movement and it was a movement in every every sense of that word in its early decades. And, you know, I really believe one of the reasons that I am a Methodist is I believe with every fiber of my being that understanding, and remember these words we've been talking about since October, understanding, resetting, and refocusing carrying out these things that were so highly emphasized back then can still lead to a great, great movement today. Now, I want you guys to understand from, from the very beginning here, um, even though we're going to be talking about Methodist tradition, nothing that is said, uh, not, 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 nothing that's said, none of this in any way, shape, or form should be construed as undermining or disparaging other Christian traditions, other tradition, uh, Christ, Christian movements other different Christian denominations. Those of you guys who know me and know me very well uh, know that I'm heavily influenced by the Catholic tradition, the Anglican tradition, uh, especially the more com- contemplative movements of, the, of those, uh, of those uh, traditions. I've been influenced personally by, by Baptist theology. I've been influenced personally by Mennonite theology, Am- Amish, Amish theology, uh, Episcopalian, a whole, a whole slew of that stuff. So, so nothing, again, that I... That, should, uh, should be construed as to be you know, disparaging of other movements. But what happened is, is I believe, you know, I ultimately landed in the, in the Methodist church for a couple reasons. You know, I, think, I, think one is, I, I think God truly led me here, but it's also where I happened to feel like I, I fit in the most. You know, I was really drawn in to the, the Methodist emphasis on this idea of grace, God's unconditional love, no matter what we do, no matter how many times we mess up. God still has grace for us. You know, I know I like to talk about grace a lot. That, and we have a really, really strong, strong emphasis on that. And that's one of the things that drew me to, it, to, our, to this particular tradition. We have a great emphasis, like we talked about Sunday in our Sunday small group this morning, on practicing various spiritual disciplines. We call that spiritual formation. It's how we work uh, in, in, in contact with God to grow spiritually, to grow more into the mind of Christ. We have a great tradition of carrying out the ideas and the practices of compassion and mercy and justice. And all of those things are going to be things that we talk about in, in future sermons on down the road. But what I want to touch on, on today is the emphasis that we have and have always had on this idea of mission. 
we have been and we are and we always have been a missional church. As I said in the very beginning, a movement in every sense of the word. Remember that we've been talking about carrying out the mission ever since about September or October is when I started introducing you guys to, the, to this idea of refocusing, resetting ourselves on our mission and our purpose as individuals and, and as the local church. We had our, we had our workshop with Ann that I, again, thought, thought went really, really great. And, and I think that some of our people uh, picked, up, picked up some great things that we have, that we have uh, instituted into the church and, 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 are, and are carrying those out very, very well. So we've been talking about this whole idea of being missional and being a missional church and a missional people. Uh, and we've been, we've been really, really highlighting it for a number of months now. You see, uh, this guy that we know as John Wesley, if y'all don't know who John Wesley is, he's the guy who's credited as being the founder of the whole Methodist movement. He and those early Methodists understood that Jesus had put them, had sent them. This is where we get it from, folks. They understood that Jesus had sent them on a mission. He had sent them on a mission with a very, very, very specific purpose. And what they did is they were absolutely intentional about seeking out others to welcome them into the church to welcome them into a first-hand knowledge and a first-hand relationship with Christ. And as a result of that, the Methodist church, the Methodist movement absolutely grew like crazy in a relatively short amount of time. It started over, it started, at the, the movement itself, John Wesley actually came over to the United States, he came over to Georgia um, at one point, and he came over here to, to, uh, to uh, evangelized the Native Americans and he failed miserably and he, and he went back he tucked his tail between his legs and went back to England but after he got back to England he, he, had, he, had, he did some spiritual work um, had some stuff that worked into his life and the movement really really got started and it exploded like crazy over in England eventually some more folks uh, from that movement came over to the United States and it started exploding in the United States at one point or another the, the whole Methodist movement excuse me, was the largest uh, Protestant Christian denomination in the United States, and even to this day, the United Methodist Church is the second largest Protestant denomination in the United States. We're right behind the Southern Baptist Convention. So all of that happened really, again, in a sh relatively short amount of time, and it happened very, very quickly. How did they do that? How did that happen? What was their motivation behind becoming and doing and living as missional people? You know, there's probably a lot of answers, a lot of ways that you can answer those questions. But one of those has to be that they took very, very seriously one of the final directives of Jesus Christ that he gave to his church. And you find those directives in the Gospel of Matthew it's at the very end, Matthew chapter 28. As a matter of fact, these are the last recorded words in the Gospel of Matthew. And for those of you who... Uh, who have been at Bemis for any amount of time, y'all ought to be able to quote this in your sleep by now because you've heard me quote it so much. But this is the mission that he gave the church, and this is the mission, this is, this is something, the early Methodist movement, something that inspired them. They're one of their groundings to do what they did and become what they become, became. Last recorded words of Jesus. This is, his, this is his marching orders to the church, his marching orders to us today. 28th chapter of Matthew 18, last two verses, 18 and 20. Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here it is. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Y'all note that I've got the uh, first portion of chapter 20 highlighted in bold and italics right there. I, I did that intentionally. I'll explain to you explain to you why in just a minute. But this is our mission, church. This is it. These are the marching orders of Jesus Christ, both as individuals and as churches, as the Christian church globally. Not just the Methodist church, the entire Christian church globally from 2,000 years forward on into 2023. This is who we are. This is every, everything that motivates us. Being and making disciples. They understood that, that. Those early Methodists understood that. They embraced it. They lived it out. And they saw that movement just absolutely grow like crazy. And this remains our mission today. One that we need to remember. One that we need to reemphasize over and over and over again because we have short-term memories and we have a great tendency to forget this. This idea remains the stated mission of the United Methodist Church. You have heard me repeat this time and time and time again. Somebody should be able to tell me by now what the mission statement of the United Methodist Church is. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. 300 years later, since the starting of our little movement, this remains our mission. Our mission statement to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now let me go back to that previous scripture and talk to you about the reason that I highlighted in bold and italics there's that certain portion of uh, verse 20 there. Teaching them to obey all or everything that I've commanded you. This part of Jesus' directive is, is of utmost and so overlooked importance. It spells out what a disciple is. It spells out what a disciple looks like. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is going to go back to our early days with me here at Bemis United Methodist, one of my first sermons that I ever preached here, guys. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rehash it a little bit because we need to remember sometimes what a disciple is first and foremost. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus without exception. Who obeys everything I've commanded. Who teaches people to obey everything I've commanded. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus without reservation, without exception. Who completely abandons himself or herself to the will of Christ. We discover that will of Christ through his teachings. We discover the will of Jesus through scripture, through prayer, through our relationships with other people, through all kinds of different influences. But make no mistake, church, being a Christian is about being conformed in our minds and in our hearts to the very image of Jesus Christ. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul himself. Even Paul says this. It's not about having the right beliefs, as important as foundational beliefs are. It is not about having all the right beliefs. It's not about having all your theology and all your doctrine in line. 
It's not about conforming to a specified list of do's and don'ts. And folks, you're not a Christian because your grandmama was a Christian. It's not something that you inherit because they occupied a church pew at some time. To be a Christian is a, to be a disciple. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ, a learner, a student. My favorite, my brother Tony Mallory's favorite word in describing that, a mimicker of Jesus Christ. So again, I'm going to take you back to one of the very first sermons that I, that, that I preached here. If you ever want to know, I'm sure you do. <laughs> if you ever want to know what I think the biggest issue is in the in the American church today, is that we've got a lot of believers, but we don't have a whole lot of disciples. Think about that for just a second. I believe that one of our biggest issues, if not the biggest issue, is our pews and our chairs, however you gather for worship are full of believers, but we are short, 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 short on disciples. And yeah, you can be a believer and not be a disciple. That's very, very, very easy to do. Because that's what we've tended to stress over the years. That's what I heard in church going up, growing up. It was all about beliefs. Being a believer. Having all the right beliefs. Well, what have we gotten as a result of that? As a result of that type of teaching, as a t as a result of stressing that over actually being a disciple, we've got churches who are filled with believers but are woefully short of people who are act who are called who look like what we were actually called by Jesus to be followers. A lot of believers, shorthanded on followers. Only, as a matter of fact, I only recall one instance of, of Jesus saying, believe in me. John 3.16, all of us know that. I don't recall any other thing. I must say, I'm, I'm not undermining belief in Jesus. Of course, we all, that's foundational. But I can remember multiple times, upon multiple times, upon multiple times, where Jesus uses the direct words, follow me. Be my disciple. Be my learner. Be my mimicker, Tony Mallory. I don't recall one time. I ain't saying this to make anybody mad. And, and y'all know what I believe. We, we worship God. We worship Jesus. We worship the Holy Spirit. I don't even remember Jesus saying worship. But he certainly said, follow me. Many, many, many times. What are the results of this emphasis on belief over following? I'll tell you what the results are. Outsiders look into the church and they see a lot of people that claim Christ as Savior and Lord, but for some reason or another don't look, think, or speak, or act anything like it. That's what people on the outside of the church find absolutely unbelievable. How does that happen? A lot of reasons. But the short answer is we've done a great job of making saved people, and I'm not making fun of salvation. Salvation is foundational in what we believe. It's what we focused on getting people saved. We've made a lot of saved people. We've made a lot of rule followers. And we've made a lot of good American citizens. But we have failed miserably in making authentic disciples. Wesley and the early Methodists understood all of this. They got it. Disciple making was their number one priority. 
it was the number one focus of their whole movement. Y'all want to know where some of these ideas about small groups came from in the first place? The early Wesleyan, the early Methodist movement. They were some of the first folks who got together in these, in these things called small groups. Why did they do that? They did that to disciple one another. They did that to hold, on, to be there for um, and to other people, to be accountable to and for the brothers and sisters. That's how disciple making happened in that movement. So they formed those, those what they call what we call today small groups to be accountable to each other. They discipled each other in these groups. They emphasized the words and the teachings of Jesus. They actually took the Sermon on the Mount very seriously. Y'all know that I have a major issue with that, with the fact that we don't take the Sermon on the Mount very seriously. We take the Ten Commandments seriously, but for some reason we don't take the teachings and the words of Christ seriously. Why is that? I say because it's pretty easy not to kill people. It's pretty easy not to steal from people. It's pretty easy not to practice adultery. It's a whole heck of a lot harder to forgive and love your enemies. But we can just push that to the side, right? Jesus didn't really mean all that stuff. Yeah, he did. That's what follow me means. That's what being a disciple means. Is that what we look like? That early movement emphasized the ideas and they emphasized the practices of grace, mercy, love, compassion being conformed to the very heart of Jesus and they lived out those values beyond their individual lives. They, they lived out those values in their social lives. They cared for the poor. They cared for the imprisoned. They cared for the marginalized. They emphasized being and making authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. And they did not settle for surface level, nominal Christianity. Christianity in name only. And they emphasize this scripture, by the way. The one I'm about to show you. And you should be really familiar with this one at this point. If you're not familiar with the whole story, I won't catch you up to it. Just I'll just tell you, somebody asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Golly, everybody should be able to repeat this verbatim. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let me point a couple things out to you, if I've never done this before. And let me use my sweet little toy that my friends got me for Christmas. The second, the first greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. That word likes pretty much means equal. If we were to translate that into the Greek, that word like pretty much means equal. It's just like it. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God according to Jesus, not according to Jerry. Loving God, loving people, is on the same level of importance as loving God. I didn't say it. Christ said it. Loving people carries the same weight in the eyes of God as loving God. 
all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Makes more of a present, Carl. Everything we know about Christianity, all of our beliefs, all of our do's, all of our don'ts, all that stuff. It comes down to two things, loving God and loving others. And loving others is just as important as loving God. They got that, folks. That early movement, man, that were missional, that had a purpose, they got that. They got following Jesus. And they got how they followed Jesus. How do you follow Jesus? Well, here's your starting point. That's what you're seeking. Uninhibited, unrestrained love for God and for neighbor. That was their motivation among, among others. Because you see, when we're in love with God, something's going to happen, I think, anyway. I hope. We're going to want to start being like Jesus. If we're really in love with God, we're really in love with His Word. And I don't just mean Scripture. I mean Scripture, but I also mean His purposes, His will. We're going to want to be like Jesus. We're going to want to shed... I prayed this morning. We're going to want to shed every, every fiber of our egos, all of our sin, all of our self-centeredness, all of this stuff that blocks us from becoming what Christ wants us to become. We're going to look to the words of Jesus for the foundation of everything that we are, everything that we hope to be, everything that we hope to become. By the grace of God, if we love people as Jesus does, if we love others, we're going to want to share all of this awesome new life that we have with them. We're going to want to see people thrive. We're going to want to see people thrive spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of which are intertwined, by the way, interconnected. We're going to look at other people, regardless of where they are in life, as our equals. And we're going to want to serve each other. And we're especially going to be wanting to serve those who are living under distressed life conditions. That's what a movement looks like. That's what mission looks like. And that's what really we should all want to become. Beliefs are important, folks. Foundational beliefs are important. But Christianity is not really based on a whole lot of beliefs. Jesus said, follow me. And be a disciple. Disciple. So what happens when we do that? What happens when we set out on mission? What happens when disciples start making other disciples? First and foremost, personal transformation occurs. Something that, something that we, we talk about very, very, very much. Just talked about it this morning in our, Sunday, in our Sunday small group. Personal transformation happens. It may not happen immediately, but the more that we dive into the teachings of Jesus, the more that we dive into Scripture, the more that we spend time with God, spend time with God, not rush through our prayers. The more we come to church, the more we come to worship, the more we come to small groups, the more we receive Holy Communion, all of these gifts of grace that God gives us to show himself to us, to move through us, the more we do those things, the more opportunity God has to work in us, and the more God will begin to change us, change our thinking, start removing all these egos and all this self-centeredness, replacing it with the mind of Christ, if we allow it. 
personal transformation occurs. What happens if personal transformation occurs? And when disciples start making other disciples, hearts start to soften. When disciples start making disciples, compassion, love, and mercy start to replace disdain, hatred, and vengeance. When disciples start making disciples, we start caring for and we start loving our neighbor a little bit more. And we start taking action to help the neediest among us and the most marginalized. That's what happened in the early Methodist movement, folks. Compassionate, Jesus-following people made compassionate, Jesus-following communities. Let me repeat that. Compassionate, Jesus-following people made compassionate, Jesus-following communities. It's like that old snowball thing that we talk about, right? It starts off small, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Happens through one person to the next person, to the next, the next, the next. Individuals, compassionate, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following individuals, created, compassionate, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following communities. Those whose values bled into the world around them. They were into the world around them. Let me talk about world change for just a second. What happens when small groups of Christians, compassionate, mercy, loving Christians, become bigger groups of compassionate, mercy-loving Christians, and those values start spreading out into the world, into our workplaces, into the various places where we, where, wherever we inhabit. Stuff starts happening. Those values start coming to light. Early Methodist movement was huge in fixing some of our worst problems, <laughs> or at least being a voice to them. Huge. They were big on prison reform. For example, they were big on caring for the poor. They were big, by the way, in the anti-slavery movement before being anti-slavery was even was even cool, <laughs> so to speak. All of these values start small with the personal transformation of one person that creates personal transformation of another into communities that overflows. Why do you mention all that stuff about social change, Jerry? Because I'm going to throw this, this, this ditty in there for you. I thought about not saying this, but why not? It certainly fits. It makes you wonder, you know? It makes you wonder. Maybe we should stop putting all of our faith. Maybe we should stop trying so hard to change the world around us through the world's methods. Politics, legislation, voting. I ain't telling you don't vote. Go in and vote whoever you want to. But maybe we should stop trying so hard putting so much of our time and so much of our effort by utilizing the methods of the world and start just doing what Jesus said. Be disciples who make disciples. Call me crazy, y'all, but maybe Jesus just knew what he was talking about. Stay on mission. That, that's the message. Stay on mission, church. You know, Be disciples. Make disciples. My, my, my challenge, my encouragement would be, you know, you can see the transformation of, with, of people and communities unfold. That's the reward, is it's tangible. It's something that you can actually see. It's something you could, if you're, if you're a statistics type person, you could, probably, you, could, you, could, you could probably write it down on paper. Watch that transformation of heart and mind occur in yourself, in your friends, in your neighbors, 
your church brothers and sisters, your communities. Y'all, I've been amazed since I've been here for a year, a little over a year and a half, I guess. I've been amazed how I've seen other people continuing to be transformed in their minds and their hearts and their actions and their reactions right here at Bemis United Methodist. It amazes me. It amazes me to see that personal transformation occur, and then it amazes me to see the action taken by that individual or those individuals or those groups of people within the church that reveal the compassionate, merciful nature of Christ. You think that people don't notice that when we're out here doing some of the things that we're doing? Certainly. It says we're not hiding behind our doors here on Sunday morning. It says we're actually getting outside the doors. Why? Because we are learning to become, to be, and to live out lives that reflect compassionate, Jesus-following, people-loving individuals and communities. We've seen that happen right here in a relatively short amount of time. How hearts have been changed within our church. Minds have been, minds have been transformed. And you see the action that follows it. It's noticeable. It's tangible. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've felt it. That's amazing to me. And I know that y'all have witnessed it as well. I know you have. Folks, that's just a drop in the bucket. That's just a taste of what Christ is able to do with us when we take this idea of mission seriously. So my prayer for myself, you know, one of my biggest prayers for you is that... Uh, we can just submit to what God already wants for us. It's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to submit our egos. I know it's hard to yield our self-centeredness, our, our self-preservation. Golly, do, are we, do we love self-preservation. All of these things that block us, all of these things that block us and prevent us from actually being Christ followers. My biggest hope for myself, my biggest hope for you is that we'll at least, at least have a starting point having that desire, that desire to release these things. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you this morning for the message of Christ. We thank you, um, God, that your message really is it's pretty simple, pretty plain, and pretty clear. Love God, love neighbor, be disciples, make disciples. And we try to complicate it so much. It's clear, but it's not easy. Thank you for every person here, God, every representative of the kingdom of God that's here individually. And of course, we thank you for, for just for the local church. We ask that you would continue to infuse Bemis United Methodist and its people with your will, with the desire for personal and communal transformation, God, that we might go out and we might truly be and show the world that authentic disciples, compassionate, merciful, Jesus-following people, really look like. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.